Today is the 29th of July, 2014, and this is episode 131. This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is a new field of study. Consult your local futurist, lawyer, and investment advisor before making any decisions whatsoever for yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice-weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects building the digital economy and the future of money. My name is Adam B. Levine, and today we're going purist. Andreas recently caught up with Alex Mizrahi about Chroma Wallet, an advanced colored coins implementation. They talk coloring Satoshis versus placing orders, user-created assets, and more. Then, Stephanie shares with us a recent letter from Eric Voorhees about the proposed NY rulesmaking. But first, it's nice to see more, better options when you go looking for a wallet. Recently, I caught up with the folks at Hive. Enjoy the show. Today on Let's Talk Bitcoin, we're joined by Matt and Wei from Hive Wallet. Hi, guys. How you doing? Pretty good. Thanks, Adam. How you doing? Hi, Adam. Can you guys tell us a little bit about what you do at Hive? I'm Wei. Right now, I'm leading the engineering effort of Hive Web. I also helped out with the App Store. So right now, the OSX version and the Android version App Store, you see, well, I did some of that too. I came onto Hive a little bit earlier in the year when Wendell was looking for a design team. So I sort of came on board with uh, my design team and we've worked really intensively with Way, specifically on Hive Web, which we um, just released. So the last time we talked about Hive on the show, CEO Wendell Davis showed us the Mac wallet last year. Can you kind of bring us up to speed? What's happened since then? The major development has been we wanted to get Hive out to a, a wider audience and to also have something that was really simple for, for new users. To that end, we've been working on a Hive web. I guess the idea there was just Bitcoin's a fantastic thing, but it it's, can be pretty hard for new users to get their head around. The OSX app is great, but obviously has a bit of a limited audience. So we wanted something that was going to be able to be used by as many people as possible. So yeah, we, we developed a Hive web basically just aimed at mobile users and something really, really simple for people to get into Bitcoin for the first time. So the app was actually pretty slick before, and now, uh, like you said, you've just launched this web version. It's even more slimmed down. Matt, can you talk about designing something like a Bitcoin wallet for non-technical users? The kind of interesting thing about designing something like this is really that we're designing for a use case that's not entirely there, and that's probably the hardest thing to do because we're looking forward to the sort of system that Bitcoin will become where it um, does have more consumer applications. At the moment, obviously, it's pretty handy for you know, using for transmitting money across borders and for using online in some cases, but it's not really used very heavily in person. And I guess what we were trying to do was make something that can bridge that gap where, you know, at the moment we're still in the world of very long, clunky wallet addresses and QR code scanning, which can be pretty clunky and, and painful. So we were trying to do something that can make transactions in coffee shops, in businesses, from person to person, all of that stuff, just trying to remove the barriers to a sort of entry there. So, yeah, I guess it's trying to, the, the most difficult part of designing for it is that we can't really there's, there's not really anything to draw from in the bitcoin world we have to kind of work on some hunches and some intuition and as much sort of data as we can gather obviously because you know you need data for good design but um yeah we've still had to sort of make a bunch of assumptions about what people need and what people really want 
I think engineering works with design and it's totally an interesting experience for me because for example, for Hive Web, we're like, okay, we're going to do a HD wallet following BIP32, and then that's great. And then we don't have to reuse addresses ever. We can just always use a new address as soon as we see this address has been used to receive funds. You know, and then users always get the next receive address. So they will always see their address changing. Like that didn't even come to my mind that, that that would be a problem. But, you know, Matt and the design team come on board. It's like, why is the address changing? Like, wouldn't that be confusing to users? So HD wallets are hierarchical deterministic wallets. How are you Correct. using hierarchical deterministic wallets that it's improving security or that's improving privacy for users? And is it doing it automatically without the users knowing it? Yes. Let's talk about just traditional sense of wallets, like how wallets are normally managed. So normally wallets give you one address and then a user just use that address to receive fund. Basically, that's their address. Then also like when users are introduced to Bitcoin addresses, they are normally compared to bank accounts. So they think of that as their accounts number. But you know, that analogy will start to break down once, you know, like it's not it's not what Bitcoin addresses are designed for. The thing is, if you think about using a single address and you like for me, uh, well, I'm paid in Bitcoin. Right. And then so every month I get this fixed amount of money coming into my account, uh, coming into my this same address, let's say. And then one day we go out for a beer and then I paid for your beer. And afterwards, you, you want to pay me back. And then um I give you the same address and then you just out of curiosity, you look it up on a block handle info and then you, you saw like every month's first day, I get the same amount of money coming into this, this address. So suddenly, you know, my pay, suddenly, you know, my salary. So that's a privacy concern of address reuse. How we use the HD wallet is such that as soon as we uh, see an address has been used, we just move on to the next address in the keychain. And this doesn't have any sort of uh, performance issues or anything like that for the user? So right now, there's no performance. Like right now, just in the short term, there's no performance consideration yet. But, you know, as the user have more and more addresses, it depends on the backend design. So that can certainly be optimized down the road. But I've tested with, I think, 50, 60 plus transactions. There's no problem with that. There are a lot of different things that you can use a wallet for. This is kind of another example of that. So, you know, I mean, from hot wallets to cold storage, what types of things um, do you guys think are the primary use cases? What users are you actually targeting with this? This is pretty much a hot wallet. So this is like daily, your daily spending account, a wallet that you carry with you, which you can buy coffee with, which you can just donate to people on the street if they have a cool project or something. Oh, also, by the way, I forgot to mention just now. Um, so for just regular wallets, if you want to pr pr uh, protect your privacy, at the same time, protect your fund, users have to manage multiple addresses and they have to back up regularly whenever they generate a new uh, address because that corresponds to a private key. But for HD Wallet, all you need to do is to remember your master key. Uh, well, we don't recommend you remember, remember it. We recommend you write it down and keep it safe because we can derive all your private keys. So in that sense, like it makes backup super easy for users. So when you're talking about a web wallet, there are, again, a lot of different types of web wallets that there can even be. Your web wallet specifically is targeted at the mobile market. And I believe that it's a, it's a blockchain.info style wallet. Is that right? Technically, it's different. 
because blockchain info, I believe they store an encrypted version of your wallet on their servers. That's not even what we do. Um, your master key is encrypted and stored locally in your browser. So we don't store any version of your master key. And so the downside to that is that you can't send anybody an encrypted copy that they could then unencrypt. But the upside of it is that you also don't have an encrypted copy, which both means that you don't have the responsibility for it and they don't have the risk of it. Is that right? They still can access their wallet so long as they have the passphrase. Yeah, there isn't. Okay, I understand. I, I got a little bit off track there talking about blockchain.info. Specifically, though, this is a web wallet that's targeted at the mobile market. And I think that it's the first one that I've actually seen that is specifically targeted at mobile and is also a web wallet. Can you guys talk about that decision? Further, my, the, the earliest sort of point about what was, what was the kind of challenges of designing for it. One of our solutions for trying to, uh, trying to get new users in was trying to get over the, all the clunkiness of QRs and, and uh, long wallet addresses. And we wanted this wallet to be something that people could use for everyday transactions. Maybe that kind of side developed yet but you know it's kind of chicken and egg you have to get something out there in order to help that develop one of the features that we built into this first we were not sure we could actually technically achieve but came together fairly quickly in the end was uh, this geolocation feature so you can get over the fact of how files are type in wallet addresses by firing up this thing we call waggle which is you know the way that bees locate each other and you know a little dance I don't know if people know that. Could be incredibly nerdy. So anyway, the idea with this thing, you fire it up, the other person fires it up, you find each other, and anyone else who's also using Hive, just one touch and you've, you've got their address and you can send to them. So at the moment, it's kind of fairly basic. All it does is just grab their address, but we can sort of see a lot of other uses for it where once we've built in a, a full contact system, you'll be able to tap someone to add them immediately to your contacts. Uh, if you walk into a store and they're broadcasting continuously, you might be able to tap their icon and it just shows all their products and you can tap the product and buy it immediately like that. We sort of see a lot of uses for for this kind of style of wallet in the in the consumer area, I guess. So Waggle is solving the contacts problem. It's essentially broadcasting your public keys, the thing that you're broadcasting. Yeah. Your location, your name, and your address, your current address. And the current address is the current public key, right? I mean, the current public address? Address is like a form of the public key, yes. Okay. Well, that actually sounds like a really interesting feature because... So, uh, what is the distance of something like that? I mean... Yeah, just 1km radius. The e-commerce uh, aspect of it is really interesting. I mean, how long, how far out do you think something like that is from development? The actual applications for it, first of all, we, we need to sort of build in the, the full-featured kind of contact system. These things are always just guesses, but probably we're like a few months away from having any kind of major expansion of what that can do in a, in a sort of merchant capacity. So the Mac version of Hive had a kind of built-in app store to it. And again, this was one of the really interesting parts about the Hive project because uh, wallets have a problem monetizing. You know, I mean, like we've seen Armory Wallet has raised money, but it's been more because they're like a core infrastructure company. People almost look at them like rather than because they think they're actually going to make money off of it. Can you talk about the App Store, both the, in terms of the decision to do it and what the point is? The idea with the App Store is to have uh, an ecosystem of parts that can help users to you know, expand the world of what they can do with their coins but also kind of get them on board. At the moment, <clears throat> it's only uh, on OS X and, then and Android, of course. But yeah, once we roll it back into Hive, where we're also sort of planning to give it a bit of a makeover along the same lines. And obviously the things that's, that's really useful about it and really interesting is bridging those gaps that sort of exist. So obviously having a, an app in there that's actually going to allow you to 
buy coins in your local area. There already is one on, on OSX. Obviously, we'd like to do a, a more polished sort of version for the Hive Web. But I guess it just opens up the world of what you can do. Um, you know, as soon as kind of like the Apple Store, the more nicely polished apps we can sort of roll out with a new version of it, I think we can kind of inspire people to want to write apps for it and stuff like that too. You know, what, what type of person or business would make an app and how would that work? What type of integration does this actually offer? So far we've had like exchanges and, you know, local Bitcoin ways for people to acquire Bitcoins or sell their Bitcoins. So that's just Bitcoin to fiat. That's like one category. And then we also have a category where there are like games gambling games or just you know um, all kinds of games that you can build based on Bitcoin um, and then we also have just some kind of like charity apps so Sean's post so that's another category um, basically the way I see App Store is just a way for you to spend or acquire Bitcoin or in you know in the future it will be other tokens as well so that actually leads us nicely to kind of my next question. Um, we've definitely been seeing a trend towards multi-wallets, and I was really pleased to see uh, this this GIF that's been floating around of the Hive integration of Doge. And it looks like, you know, it's, it's kind of like you get to have different tabs for different currencies. Um, can, can you talk about multi-wallets? I mean, I think that you're one of the earlier ones. You know, Wendell's kind of vision for, for where, the, um, where the whole ecosystem is going, where the whole cryptocurrency world is going is, is definitely multi-token. Um, obviously, Bitcoin's a fairly fantastic start, but obviously has some issues with transaction time and <clears throat> things like that. So, um, yeah, it makes total sense that uh, we should support as many tokens as possible. And I think the big picture vision is to ultimately be able to support any token and, and it shouldn't be something that we have to rewrite sections of the wallet for, but it should be something sort of independent so that the wallet will be able to support every token in existence. I think that, yeah, the Hive sort of vision, I guess, is that that's all coming sooner rather than later. And so we want to support everything that we can. Yeah. And I think the reason why we don't call it multi-currency and we call it multi-token is is saying that I think Wendell believes that it's not necessarily a currency because there will be, you know, different shares. So it might be more like stock shares, you know. It doesn't have to be a currency. So we call it tokens. Another reason why I think we want to support multiple tokens is because right now, different tokens have like their own wallets. And it's sort of like they fork different wallets. And then it's just like if a user wants to hold multiple tokens, they will have to go through different wallets. And then that's different sorts of pain. So we, we want to give them a nice experience through a unified, simple interface where they can just access all their tokens painless. It really actually seems like this might become something of like a like a race to be included, you know, as a standard token given out with with a, a wallet like Hive. What tokens are you planning on including if you guys have figured that out yet as like the standard set? Is it just Bitcoin or is there anything else in there? What would the process be? You said that you don't want to have to rewrite the wallet. So what is the process to actually adding a new coin to the wallet? Well, at the moment, it's on a case-by-case basis. And I guess the things that we're looking at, sort of next, uh, Doge and XCP, so the counterparty. Ultimately, we see it as, as an API. And that certainly is something that works for everyone. It's not just for our wallet, because obviously the whole ecosystem of cryptocurrency is still building. And we sort of see that 
kind of, I guess, one of the ideas that we've um, been kicking around internally is this idea of token neutrality, the idea that uh, all tokens should be equal, create, like created equally uh, or at least treated equally. And I guess that's the kind of goal for, for Hive is to treat all tokens equally and not discriminate. Yeah, and right now, uh, to incorporate a different token, we do rely on having APIs available. And then if you have a different API, we will have to, you know, write an interface that works with your API. But in the long run, what we're looking at is something less centralized, a less centralized solution. So long as you implement like, well, a token implement this set of interfaces, we are able to bring it on board quickly. So that's the ultimate goal. But that's in the long run. It seems like just about everybody is thinking with tokens these days, and I'm really pleased to see that. What can you tell me about HiveShares? HiveShares is essentially our crowdfunding concept, and um, that's something we, we can't talk about too much yet. We can say that it's coming up in the next couple of months. Obviously, today we've just sort of been talking about what are the immediate sort of features that we're looking at to put into Hive and the general idea. We've sort of got some fairly other large plans in the works. You'll be seeing kind of rollout of those uh, coming coming into webs near you quite soon. So if people would like to learn more about the Hive project, where can they go and who should they contact? And are you looking to hire anybody too? That's something that occasionally people want to do. Hivewallet.com will get you a certain amount of info. It's a launch site at the moment. We're sort of going to be adding a bunch more content back in um, since we've launched Hive Web. So there's still a bit more information to come there. But uh, certainly, you can get in touch with us with the projects. It's all open source. We're on GitHub. We're all contactable via the uh, Hive site. So, yeah, just give us a shout. In terms of hiring, Way, do you have any ideas there? I don't know that we have any. We're looking for anyone at the moment. If anyone's interested, they can always talk to us. Today's episode, in addition to our LTBC sponsors, is brought to you by CryptoKit. CryptoKit is a web wallet that installs right into your Chrome browser, so it's always there when you need it. It also has a built-in Google News Reader. Here are the headlines from the built-in news feed on this, the 29th of July, 2014. Coinapult launches locks, aiming to eliminate Bitcoin price volatility. Bitcoin, there's an ATM for that. Apple allows the world's most popular Bitcoin wallet back into its store. Bitcoin catches on in tech-savvy Romania. Crypto kids, altcoins, apps, and authors. And to bring Bitcoin to children. Bitcoin gaining popularity around the globe. Why Timothy Coles is selling his $2 million gold mine for Bitcoin. Chicago's first ATM debuts in Lakeview. All this and more in your browser. Check it out at CryptoKit.com. That's K-R-Y-P-T-O-K-I-T.com. Today's high watermark at 60,042 LTBC is Brian Cohen with his bitofthis.com LTB sponsor brokering service. Here's how it works. You have a product, service, cause, announcement, or something our audience should know about but doesn't. But what you don't have is a lot of time to spend earning LTB coin through the various ways our rewards program dishes them out. Brian, on the other hand, is one of our most active contributors, and so has a steady supply of LTBC, but not many projects that would benefit from their use. You visit bitofthis.com or click his display ad on the front page of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Brian bids on the sponsorship auctions for you and pays from his LTBC. You compensate Brian in whatever way you mutually decide. I assume this is Bitcoin, but I actually have no idea how this part works, having never used the service myself. Right now, the cost to sponsor an episode is quite low, but it is a manual process. Major kudos to bitofthis.com sponsor brokering services. This is exactly the type of opportunism that I like to see in my ecosystems. Today's magic word is classy. 
C-L-A-S-S-Y, classy, as in Bitcoin, you classy cryptocurrency, you. You've got four days to visit letstalkbitcoin.com, log in, and select magic word from the LTB coin rewards menu. Today's second sponsor with 60,000 LTBC is chainradio.com. From their about page, quote, Chain Radio is the first 24-7 internet radio station designed for cryptocurrency enthusiasts. We've been working hard secretly for the past several months on building a 24-7, fully licensed internet radio station that is built for cryptocurrency enthusiasts. We've got major plans for our radio station. We've received licenses from U.S. ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, SoundExchange, and SOCAN. Finishing work on our streaming server, our request system, and scheduling. The station isn't just led by some fans of cryptocurrency. The station is led by experienced internet radio managers, production teams, and people who know not only internet radio, but are enthusiasts of Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin, and other cryptocurrencies. Chain Radio features the music you want to hear, the shows you've asked for, the news and updates that keep you in the loop, end quote. And of course, let's talk Bitcoin. Chain Radio launched yesterday. You can check it out at chainradio.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. I'm your host, Andreas Antonopoulos, and on today's show I have Alex Mizrahi, one of the lead developers for Colored Coins and also the lead developer for Chroma Wallet, which is the Colored Coins Wallet implementation. Alex, welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. So Colored Coins is something that we've talked about a lot in the past. Probably the first interesting implementation of extended capabilities on top of the Bitcoin network that went above and beyond currency and enabled other types of applications. And as far as I'm concerned, the first meta coin, a coin that runs on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. When did you first get involved in colored coins? Well, it was in August of 2012. Uh, it was actually, I've heard about this initiative from uh, Ron Gross. He made a Bitcoin talk post and mentioned uh, an article by, by Yoni Asia. I got interested uh, because I was uh, interested in a related concept. I wanted to implement something like a Ripple on top of Bitcoin blockchain. So I thought colored coins would be easier to implement. And uh, so I uh, you know, started with the first implementation, like it was a prototype, a proof of concept. And then we started to define protocol in more rigorous way. Let's uh, try and describe the concept a bit for our listeners. I think it's important to note colored coins is not an altcoin. It does not use a separate blockchain from the Bitcoin blockchain, but instead it runs on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. Can you describe what colored coins is and, and what it offers? Well, initially, like the initial concept is that we can distinguish some of uh, Bitcoins uh, because Bitcoins, they can be traced through the blockchain. We can uh, define the rules, how one input is connected to one output, how this how they are connected. So the idea is that uh, we can distinguish some uh, Bitcoins from other and associate certain property with that. For example, we can say that this Bitcoin is, is not just Bitcoin, but it also represents, for example, a shares in a company. So uh, uh, a person who owns these particular Bitcoins 
which are traced to the blockchain, also owns the shares. Uh, so that was the initial concept. And uh, later we, we have gone beyond that because there were problems with anti-dust rules, like it, they do not allow uh, small outputs. So uh, we uh, defined colored coins in a more general sense that it's uh, not directly proportional to amount of Bitcoins output has, but uh, basically we can, we can associate a value with any Bitcoin output and define the rules how this value is transferred through transactions. Uh, and thus, uh, we just can calculate this colored coin value for every Bitcoin output. For most, it is zero. It can represent pretty much anything that's what people want. So we have a notion of so-called color kernel, which says how value is transferred in transactions. One of the examples I used uh, to describe colored coins is, for example, taking a, a standard uh, dollar bill, a green cotton-based dollar bill, and then putting a stamp on it and writing, this is one share of IBM Corporation, and then being able to track it by the serial number on the bill. So you could theoretically still use it to buy chewing gum because it's still worth one dollar but it's probably worth a lot more or it has a different value or maybe no value at all but it means something else in this case it also means a certificate for ibm shares or another example would be to take a dollar bill and on the back of it right you know this is the the title ownership for my car or for my house and then anybody who has that if you transfer that to them, then they own your car or own your house and essentially use simply the paper that the dollar is printed on without changing its value to signify something else. Do you think that's a good uh, description of what colored coins is like? Yes, it is. I think the first, this kind of concept, I first read about it in smart property article by Mike Hearn. He wrote uh, the way like how um, special Bitcoin output can be used to transfer uh, ownership of a car. But uh, well, the difference between this uh, simple model with um, dollar bills and uh, real colored coins is that we can uh, actually encode different amount of something in the output. So uh, it, it doesn't really, we have one coin, one transaction output representing one unit of something. But we can it, it can represent like hundreds of units and so on. So that's uh, I, I'd say that main difference between colored coins and what was described in Mike Hearn's article. So that's like um, stamping onto the dollar bill, but then being able to write this is two hundred shares of uh, IBM stock, or this represents twenty two percent of the value of my house, or something like that. You, you can write in a specific value that's carried on top of the of the coin itself. Well, in the Bitcoin network, we can split uh, outputs and merge them. So that's how uh, we can say one hundred shares can be split into fifty and fifty shares. It's it's uh, rather hard to do it with dollar bill. Right. So how do you actually implement colored coins on top of the Bitcoin network? Which parts of the scripting language do you use to implement that? The first implementation, it was using uh, so-called order-based coloring. Basically, we do not really change any scripts or anything. We just have 
inputs and outputs, they come in a specific order. So we say, for example, if they all, all of uh, same volume, we can say that first input is connected to the first output, second input to the second output. And thus we can uh, find which uh, inputs are corresponding to which output. So basically we do not uh, really embed any uh, information into the Bitcoin blockchain. We just uh, have this function which says uh, how much colored coins is within this output. And uh, that, that was the initial version, which is called order-based coloring. But then uh, we found it uh, rather problematic because uh, one output needs to be at least uh, 5,000 Satoshi or something like that. And that was causing problems for some kind of applications. So we went further. Uh, right now we have uh, probably two leading protocols. Uh, one is called Open Assets. They use operator, they embed data into transaction, and uh, this data encoded into a special way says how much colored coins is within a certain output. Then, of course, uh, colored coin wallet, it checks the whole transaction tree to make sure it's the right amount. And another, uh, it's called enhanced padded order-based coloring. It's basically the same idea like... Uh, with uh, uh, aligning output and input values. So uh, there is very little information, basically just a tag. There is an used field in the transaction uh, structure called end sequence. So it's unused now and we use it to just to mark uh, uh, like is it the colored coin transaction or not uh, and the amount of padding used. So that allow, allows us to uh, it is a workaround the anti-dust rules, which do not, do not allow small outputs. So that's the idea. So you mentioned op return, which is uh, for our listeners. This is one of the script operands that allows you, instead of uh, putting a recipient in a Bitcoin transaction, instead of using that transaction or the output of a transaction to embed a small amount of data up to 40 bytes of data into the uh, transaction, which then can encode whatever metadata the application needs. Uh, how are you structuring the data within op return? Uh, well, it just it just says which basically doesn't say which color it is, but it uh, has a list uh, of values for each uh, colored output. Basically, just values. Okay, so let's explain the concept of color a bit more. I think in a video on colored coins, the idea of you know making one green, blue, yellow, etc., is is visually uh, pleasing, and it explains the idea of specializing coins to give them some additional meaning. Obviously, the coins don't actually have color or colors. Can you explain what exactly that means? How you associate specific coins with specific types of applications or assets? For or padded order-based coloring, we have so-called genesis transaction. It's when uh, colored coins appear. So that uh, the hash of that genesis transaction becomes an identifier of a color. One can issue, for example, 1,000 uh, units of something. From that on, we can trace that color. And uh, with the meaning of that color, it separates in, it uh, needs to be conducted by some out-of-bound methods, like, uh, for example, it can be posted on a forum. So let's say there is Genesis output with certain hash, like ABC, 
and then there is a, a forum post and some somebody describes describes that each unit represents one uh, gram of gold so now and he might sign a message that he will redeem this these units for gold and mention this specific genesis output like abc and so on so from now on people can distinguish this color by this hash and uh, they can uh, get certain rights to demand redemption into the gold so basically it's uh, we need a color red coin wallet to distinguish uh, colors and colored coin wallet it's usually aware of some list of colors each one will probably have some uh, name which is uh, recognizable like john's gold if uh, if user called john will make this offer to issue colored coins and redeem them for gold maybe it will be called john's gold so the colored coin wallet will know to associate uh, this specific uh, genesis transaction with uh, gold and it will represent it to user in this way. I should mention another protocol called Open Assets. It's basically the same thing, but identify of the color is not a Genesis transaction, but rather something like a crypt hash. So basically, it's a specific private key is associated with a certain color. So people can issue more coins of the same color. I mean, owner can issue them. You either have a system where the initial Genesis transaction, which says, I am now, this is not a payment, this is a Genesis transaction, I'm creating a new colored coin, and the transaction hash of that is used. But in that case, you can't issue more, or you associate the private key that was used to issue certain colored coins, and then you can reissue them, for example, to do an additional share offering or something like that. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, yeah that's right. So essentially, there's some kind of metadata here. You can use the blockchain to track the life cycle of colored coins. And as they pass from owner to owner, or split, merge, uh, redistributed, etc. But you have to know what that colored coin is and when it starts, etc. You are also the lead developer of Chroma Wallet. Can you describe a bit what Chroma Wallet does in order to enhance the use of colored coins and to make it easier by associating metadata and other things to uh, colored coin transactions. Chroma Wallet currently has very little uh, with that. Uh, basically, we have a notion of color definition and we assume that somebody will obtain this color definition and import it into, into a Chroma Wallet and can, he can associate name and it uh, does a unit conversion for example somebody can define divisible asset like one unit is one gram of gold but it, it is divisible to thousands for example so that's all we do now we plan to improve it later and uh, another color red coins implementation called coin prism they have uh, i think something like a more elaborate asset definition format and they have automatic discovery uh, within the, within that website. Uh, people, uh, when somebody is paid in certain color, he can see attributes with with uh, associated with it. So he can see what what is this? It is stock or currency or what is it? But uh, I gotta say that uh, this um, information isn't authori- authoritative. It's really a question like what what information can be trusted and so on. So that we need, we will need to define this framework. I think we will define it later. 
Chroma Wallet also has some additional features that offer an asset exchange. Can you describe uh, what an asset exchange is and how it worked with colored coins? Naturally, people uh, want to buy and sell colored coins, convert them. Uh, for example, somebody wants to buy gold for bitcoins and so on. Maybe exchange different kinds, for example, buy colored coins which represent gold for colored coins which represent US dollars. We can have multiple colored coins in one transaction. That's a property of colored coin protocol. So we can make an atomic transaction which transfers, for example, Alice wants to sell gold and Bob wants to buy it for Bitcoin. So we can have one transaction where Ali sends gold to Bob's others and Bob sends Bitcoins to Alice's others. And we can combine them into one transaction. So it either happens or it doesn't. That's why it's called atomic. What we call P2P trade, it's a peer-to-peer -peer trade where people can uh, trade with each other. So basically we have a messaging channel where people can post messages which represent orders, like I want to buy, I want to sell something. And the engine, when it sees the matching or offer, it initiates a process which creates the atomic transaction. So as soon as both Alice and Bob create this transaction and each one sign it, it can be published on the Bitcoin chain and we can say the transfer have happened. So that's how how we do it. It's uh, decentralized in the sense that people trade with each other, but we currently we use a centra centralized communication channel, which is basically like a chat for data. What kinds of applications have you seen uh, being implemented using Colored Coins and the Chroma Wallet so far? Well, I'd say uh, we don't have any. Uh, we on, we uh, did a better version very recently and, and still in the testing stage. So we do not recommend people to uh, start using it for something valuable. We have been talking with different, with a lot of people who want to use it. There is a lot of interest in issuing some kind of commodity-backed coins, like people will keep, for example, gold, gold in their vault and uh, issue colored coins and people will be able to buy uh, this kind of virtual gold. That's one of applications which uh, we see most interesting in from issuers. Also, I've seen interest from people who want to make Bitcoin-based capital markets like trading shares. We haven't really implemented it in Karma Wallet because it needs paying dividends, voting and so on, but uh, there is a lot of interest in that kind of stuff. We're going to try something more experimental Something like tickets, club membership cards. We, are, we have internally we have developed an application which basically just to demonstrate uh, the proof of concept. Somebody can have a membership card, and that membership card provides an access to a chat. So basically, it's a chat for authenticated by Colored Coins. So we can use Colored Coins coins for authentication.
With the implementation of uh, Chroma Wallet, uh, people have a direct method to use colored coins on the blockchain. So now that that's available and people can use it, it's relatively easy to use. It has a graphical user interface, looks very similar to the uh, Bitcoin uh, reference client, so uh, familiar to people. What kind of applications are you seeing people uh, adopt this for? Uh, what are they using colored coins for? Chroma Wallet is still in testing phase. We want to make sure that it works, uh, everything works correctly before uh, people uh, will use it for sending some something valuable. But generally, we are already talking with a lot of uh, people who want to use it. Issues, I mean, and uh, generally, the most uh, interested I've seen is for colored coins, which are backed by some kind of commodity or fiat currency like digital gold, digital dollars, for example, that can allow Bitcoin holders to diversify into gold without dealing with exchange websites like in in more convenient way. And also maybe it can be used for a payment system where merchants will be paid in what currency they want, like uh, they can be paid in dollars without the need to change the price each second where Bitcoin price changes. There is also interest from capital markets. Uh, there is already some kind of experimental capital markets, you know, on the centralized websites, and they want to migrate it uh, to colored coins, but we don't really have uh, functionality for something they need now in the Chroma wallet, like paying dividends. It's on the roadmap, but not available right now. And uh, third, uh, perhaps third use case is for tickets, vouchers, uh, something which can be redeemed maybe membership cards we have internally we have developed an application which will let people to use colored coins for authentication for example to access a web chat a chat which are available only to people who own certain colored coins uh, where do you see colored coins going in the future in terms of how uh, colored coins relate to other uh, smart contracts and uh, smart property inventions what's what are the next steps for the colored coin projects and for chroma wallet more specifically uh, well uh, i see the, the main value in color of colored coins of top of the bitcoin uh, chain is that uh, uh, it, it's available right now. I mean, it's very easy to implement it and it's fully integrated with Bitcoin. So we have this atomic transactions where people can buy something for Bitcoin without uh, going into other blockchain. I think in future, we, of course, we have multiple different uh, projects which aim for the same thing. In Chroma Wallet, we probably aren't going to make it specific to a specific colored coin protocol. So if something better appears on the landscape, we'll add it to Chroma Wallet too. So people will have a choice of different protocols and maybe we will we'll provide a way to migrate, for, for example, from colored coins to side chain implementation or something like that. For smart contracts, uh, I'd say colored coins are compatible with some of them. So there is also a lot of uh, functionality which can be implemented for colored coins. We can do all kinds of uh, things like scroll, instant payments, and so on. That can be um, different applications, multi-signature scripts. They can all work for colored coins just like they work for Bitcoin.
As we mentioned earlier, colored coins are a meta coin, which means that they run on top of the existing Bitcoin blockchain. Now, there's a few other meta coins and smart property platforms on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, specifically MasterCoin and Counterparty. How would you compare colored coins to MasterCoin and Counterparty in terms of features and capabilities? On the technical level, the difference is that with colored coins, we attach value to Bitcoin transaction outputs, but uh, MasterCoin, for example, has a separate notion of balance which each others can have, and it, it just uses Bitcoin blockchain for messaging level. This tighter integration with Bitcoin protocol, uh, uh, in case of colored coins, offer a different set of features. Uh, so let's say counterparty, uh, they have uh, trading. Uh, in being the part of the protocol. So they have a notion within this protocol, they have a notion of orders and the protocol rules defined how uh, these orders are matched and so on. So basically the protocol is monolithic. It implements all kinds of different features like trading, betting, and uh, I think they have something like uh, contract for difference. So that's all uh, part of all the core protocol, and it all everything goes through the blockchain. But in case with colored coins, uh, we rely on Bitcoin features instead of implementing something within as a, our protocol. So basically, we have a very basic core level which defines coloring, and it doesn't contain anything about trading or as a meaning of colored coins and uh, trading and other features, it can be implemented on top of that. So uh, practical difference is that uh, if uh, orders are submitted via blockchain, they need to be confirmed uh, in the block. So uh, that works on rather large time scales, like one needs 10 minutes to learn whether his order was matched or not. But with colored coins, we have the separate P2P trade protocol, which does uh, matching through a separate communication channel. So people learn whether it, they found the counterparty much, much faster. It's, for example, can be in methods of seconds, they can find matching orders and make a transaction and publish it. So we have uh, these different approaches like monolithic approach and layered approach. And of course, it's, it takes time for us to implement these advanced features for colored coin because we, we need to implement it as separate application, as separate layers. But I think in the end, it's going to be more flexible. So that's the difference between approaches and uh, which defined also the difference in features. The MasterCoin platform, as well as the Counterparty platform, have uh, organizations behind them, and uh, MasterCoin has the MasterCoin Foundation, and they're um, obviously intended in the future to, or have already fundraised in order to support uh, future development and uh, either commercial products or an open source development organization. Uh, what is the corresponding arrangement for colored coins? What is the organization like? Um, who are the developers and how big is the team? And, and what are your funding plans for the future? Uh, well, it's, it, it, it was a problem for colored coins because there is no inherent incentive to develop this protocol. Basically, it, uh, for a long time, it depended on donations from sponsors. So that's why we had rather slow implementation. 
progress. Currently, there are several uh, for-profit companies which are, which are going to implement uh, applications which use Colored Coin protocol. So one one I'm booking in now is called Chromaway. It uh, will develop Chroma Wallet and the protocol which Chroma Wallet will use. And, uh, and other ones are Coin Prism. They have a different protocol called Open Assets, which I already mentioned. And also there is coins.org which works on Eridis. So we have uh, these three uh, projects which probably compete in some way. But I hope that in the end we will be able to uh, define some common standards for colored coins. As the way I see it, we absolutely need to have for-profit companies to develop colored coin clients because there is no inherent uh, monetization method, and uh, uh, it turned out that uh, donations are not reliable. Uh, but uh, I hope that uh, existence of applications which use uh, colored coins will be a driving factor, and we will be able to deliver uh, exciting applications, new protocol features, and so on. It's very uh, basically the colored coins itself. It's just a concept, and. Uh, it's useful for plenty of different applications. So that's why I think application will be a driving factor. We probably don't need a colored coin foundation, which will be, which will define what people should use and how, and so on. If certain feature is useful for certain application, it can exist in, in a separate, maybe in a separate client software, or maybe as an add-on. So it's very open model, which encourages competition and different experiments and different features. As for implementation, well, I'm working on it and have several... Uh, yeah. In the Chroma way, we have several people working on it, but uh, uh, currently we had to downsize team a bit because uh, basically we run out of funding and looking for it now. I know that Eridis project is sponsored by people who want to trade these uh, commodities uh, they are working on uh, decentralized exchange software they want to make it a standardized standard protocol to make a fully decentralized exchange for colored coins we will, we will probably uh, uh, collaborate on this and define the common protocol for this exchange uh, thank you for answering our questions, Alex. Uh, this has been a, a great introduction to colored coins, and I've gained a much better understanding of the Chroma Wallet platform and uh, how all of this compares to some of the other things that are out there. Uh, good luck with your uh, team, and I uh, hope to have you on the show again soon to tell us uh, what's happening next. Uh, Alex Mizrahi of uh, Colored Coins and Chroma Wallet. Thank you. everybody, this is Stephanie here. I wanted to read an article by someone that I really respect. It's a response to the recent proposal, I guess, which is probably going to become law, 
by some people in New York who want to control Bitcoin. And uh, this is written by Eric Voorhees, dated uh, July 18th, 2014, called Reflections on the NYDFS Bitcoin Proposal and the Right of Privacy. So here we go, reading Eric's words. Today, as human society progresses onward, CoinMap broke 5,000 global business listings. South African payment processor PayFast enabled their 30,000 merchants to accept Bitcoin. And the New York Department of Financial Services made financial privacy a crime, supported, at least superficially, by some leaders in the Bitcoin industry. Let's review. The proposed digital currency regulation from Benjamin Losky, superintendent of 20 million slash 6 billion people's financial decisions, has been on the horizon for months. New York is known for dictating how people live, and so as more people are incorporating Bitcoin into their lives, New York bureaucrats would inevitably attempt to place it under surveillance and control, with the best intentions, naturally. According to the new mandates, you will soon be unable to lawfully purchase a Bitcoin from any company that A. has any customers in New York, and B. doesn't keep an aggregated surveillance list of all customers, including name, address, photo ID, and, quote, other identifying information, regardless of the amounts transacted. And if the company you'd like to buy from does satisfy New York's rules, you will then be required to add yourself to this surveillance list, having then to trust not only the company and not only the government, but also every other third party that may obtain such information, not to abuse it. Consider now that an Italian wishing to buy $100 of Bitcoin from Bitstamp in Slovenia will now be forced to provide all his personal details, which will go on file with the United States government and any third parties able to obtain that file, because Bitstamp has some customers in New York. The American government, not satisfied with continually carving away the freedoms of its own people, now heads abroad in search of freedoms elsewhere to slay. Ironically, one of the most highlighted pretenses for New York's new regulations is consumer protection. And indeed, these new mandates attempt to assure you of your state-sponsored safety by requiring background checks on the company's founders. Another American myth, the presumption of innocence. Requiring expensive bonds and insurance, goodbye college startup. And forcing companies' IT security to satisfy government standards, which should make us all feel safe. So you were assured of your safety, but then, of course, it is rested back away upon compulsion to expose your personal details. How can it be in the interest of a consumer to force them to reveal their identity, submitting personally identifiable documents directly to private companies, and then indirectly to various government agencies, and then periodically to hackers and third parties who otherwise inevitably obtain it? How does that protect the consumer? Let's be truthful. This exposes the consumer. It renders him a serf upon the farm of information production, used for purposes both benevolent and vile, without any say in the matter. The information you expose to anyone does not remain solely with the recipient of that exposure. If the government forces the exposure of your personal information, will it also do you the courtesy of guaranteeing the safety of the same? It cannot. Let's examine the credit card industry, which is highly regulated by the same wise and benevolent agencies now groping Bitcoin. Have we already forgotten Target Corporation's breach, leading to millions of people's personal information being compromised? And is that an isolated incident? Or the billions of dollars in losses every year due to identity theft? This is real harm, both personal and economic, being done perpetually to the American public because they have to divulge all their personal information to engage with each other economically. Finally, at long last, Bitcoin provides a way to make at-distance economic exchange without surrendering personal info. And Benjamin Losky rides on his white horse, taxpayer-funded, to make that privacy illegal 
and once again wrests society back into the dark ages of financial technology. His justification is that he may be able to freeze some criminal funds, so endangering 350 million Americans is justified because he's protecting Americans. The premise that such regulations foster consumer protection is absurd. Do consumers not deserve the right to remain private if they have not been accused of a crime? And do they not deserve privacy on both sides of the transaction, buying the Bitcoin and spending it? Do they deserve to be forced to reveal who they are, where they live, what they look like, how to get in contact with them, and in what manner they choose to make financial decisions? Is this the mark of a society that values the liberty of its citizens? That it may make it easier for the state to fight crime if every citizen reveals who they are and what they're doing does not justify such intrusion. This is the impetus by which evil groups come to dominate and subvert, regardless of whether they were evil to begin with. An honest America must now change its slogan from land of the free to papers, citizen. This is not consumer protection. This is explicit surveillance of private citizens who are not accused, nor even under suspicion, of committing a crime. Or perhaps suspicion is now assumed in all cases. A foundational legal principle of American society, the presumption of innocence, is, through such mandates, humiliated and desecrated by all people who believe they are advocates of the law. Are we now presumed to be criminals, and thus must permit ourselves to be watched in whatever way the state deems appropriate, so that our activities may be blessed before we proceed? Is this not exactly the financial censorship for which Bitcoin was intended as the antidote? Some don't seem to think so. Bitcoin visionaries Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss responded to the announcement with the following. We are pleased that Superintendent Losky and the Department of Financial Services have embraced Bitcoin and digital assets and created a regulatory framework that protects consumers. We look forward to New York State becoming a hub of this exciting new technology. Cameron and Tyler, this is shameful. Losky has embraced Bitcoin? Really? Dozens of diktats which mandate state surveillance and censorship is the very antithesis of Bitcoin. This is not an embrace. It is the chaining of a generation's most important invention to the failed financial infrastructures for which Bitcoin was an explicit refutation. But let's not hastily cast the Winklevi among Bitcoin's true enemies. After all, Occam's razor might suggest that the brothers simply don't want regulatory scrutiny brought down upon them, as they're trying to get their fund approved, and thus feel compelled to not only comply with these absurd mandates, but to advocate on behalf of them. But then, what does that say about our great nation? That industry leaders cower before the superintendent and lend their reputational support so as not to draw ire? Does this sound American to you? What does the American ideal and the Bitcoin ideal stand for if not stalwart resistance to this very encroachment of the state into private industry? But it's worse. To all Bitcoin industry entrepreneurs and advocates, this new regulation makes private e-wallets illegal. Read this sentence again. If you spend your time, money, and creative energies building a platform in which users may securely deposit and store their digital assets, you must now require them to send you personally identifying information. You must take their name. You must take their address. You must get a photo ID of this person verified against government checklists. You must watch their transactions and decide whether they are suspicious. You must package all this information into a database to which state agencies are permitted unlimited oversight and privilege. But even before initiating your Orwellian spy list, you must submit yourself to a process of applying for a state-sponsored license. You must bribe the government with money or they will shut you down, called a bond or licensing fee. You must invite state-approved IT security forces to review your system. 
If they wish to insert a snippet of code into your software, you shall comply or be tried for money laundering and conspiracy to commit all manner of crimes. Think I'm making this up? Please, how can anyone involved in Bitcoin morally support this? You are being forced to spy on your users and report private information to government agents with neither accusations nor even suspicion of a crime. How can you advocate the innovation that Bitcoin brings and simultaneously support such a decree? Do you have no line in the sand? At what point do you stand up like someone who knows right from wrong and assert your opposition to one of the most corrupt organizations on the planet? Not today, you say? Are you listening, Jeremy Allaire? Are you listening, Armstrong and Ursham? Are you listening, Winklevi and Andreessen? You are leaders of the industry. Well, where are you leading it? Don't want to bring negative attention upon yourselves? Fine, I understand that. But why are you going out of your way to publicly endorse this anachronistic legislation? Doing so means your explicit approval of all Bitcoin users being under perpetual surveillance. By what moral perversion do you justify such advocacy? Further, it will now be mandated that any bright engineer obtain a state license before releasing his new digital currency and may only then innovate in a state-approved manner. No digital ledger system may be published for the world to view without state approval, according to the NYDFS. Controlling, administering, or issuing a virtual currency is now a government-approved and thus government-censored enterprise. Industry leaders, do you really support this? This would mean Satoshi Nakamoto himself would have committed a crime if his genius released Bitcoin today, unless he explicitly barred New Yorkers from using it. To do it lawfully, he would have been required to register, obtain approval, and make his identity known to all. You approve of a background check on Satoshi Nakamoto? You approve of him being forced to put up bond before he's permitted to release the Genesis block? Bitcoin would not have been released if this legislation existed in 2008. Why do you support it being released in 2014? This is the fostering of innovation, now levied by the NYDFS, and you are supporting it. Cryptocurrency innovation, aka business, must first be approved and anointed by the state of New York. Is that your idea of monetary progress for a world so desperately in need of it? How can you support this? Alas, what conclusion can be drawn from Lasky's proclamation other than the following? Bitcoin shall be tossed into the same unethical regulatory mess that currently governs the legacy banking system. It shall comply with the same mandates, be governed in the same way by the same people. It shall be censored with the same prejudices and serve as an Orwellian tool of law enforcement in the same corrupt and deleterious manner. Its protection of privacy, illegal. Its advocation of neutrality, ignored. Its efficiencies, minimized. It's decentralized, market-based governance forced to revert to centralized, state-based coercion. Why? Because the men with guns say so, and the men with the businesses don't really want to make a fuss about it. Examinations of licensees will be conducted whenever the superintendent deems necessary. New York Department of Financial Services. Consider whether this quote is more befitting of legislation in the United States of America or Soviet Russia. Is it befitting of Bitcoin? Are we all inspired to build a system in which examinations will be conducted whenever the superintendent deems necessary? Is that what we're bringing to the world? More of that? I don't expect those who make their living through coercion to understand or appreciate this distinction. 
But I do hope that respectable people, good citizens, men of character, honest Bitcoin innovators and businessmen take it to heart in both their words and actions. If you don't want to speak out against this nonsense for fear of retribution, fine, that is understandable. But if you speak out in advocacy of the very injustices from which Bitcoin is trying to lead society, I'd advise you to check whether you're veering dangerously close to incompatibility with a free and open financial system and consider whether you will end up on the right side of history. Let's hope the builders of this most important technology don't continue to embarrass themselves by forgetting what they're building. Fortunately, a technology like Bitcoin will lead humanity in its own direction, despite the most eloquent proclamations from kings of any country or the cowed groveling of their entranced subjects. To those of you out there speaking and struggling for freedom, thank you. In Liberty, Eric Voorhees. Thanks for listening to episode 131 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's show is provided by Adam, Andreas, Stephanie, Matt, Way, and Alex. This episode was edited by Denise Levine, Adam Levine, with additional editing by Stephanie Murphy. Music for today's show is provided by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. There's lots of new stuff going on over at letstalkbitcoin.com. I'll see you there.